You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. All right, we'll set this down here. I'll need that. Good evening, Bible Baptist Church in Marysville. How are you all doing this evening? It's a good night to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, we're going to be in the uh, book of Esther and uh, chapter 5. And while you're all turning there, I just want to say... Um, you know, thank you, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity to preach. I really appreciate that. You know, and you're up here saying that uh, I've been a blessing to you all, and I'm thinking, man, you guys have been a blessing to me. You have no idea. So uh, it is interesting how the Lord works and uh, brings about things and, and asks us to kind of step out by faith and, and asks us to venture out and, and do what He would have us to do. And um, so it's been a real blessing. You guys are fantastic, and uh, I enjoy it out here. And, you know, people back home thought, you're going to go to California? Are you sure? <laughs> And I'm sure I was asking the Lord, are you sure? Which is a great idea to ask the Lord, are you sure? Um, but this evening, uh, I just want to share with you some things that the Lord has shared with me. And as I was preparing this message and, and thinking and asking the Lord, you know, Lord, what would you have me to preach? I mean, most of you are familiar with who I am. If you don't know who I am, obviously I'm, I'm Brian Hubbard and I'm a Seedline West Coast representative uh, <clears throat> with Bearing Precious Seed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... I was asking, you know, Lord, what am I going to tell them? I, I spend that all the time, and I'm thinking about it and praying about it. And, you know, this, this particular passage was interesting to me as the um, Lord really used it in my own life. And so I, I started delving into it. And as I obviously started praying and asking the Lord, he revealed some things to me. And I thought, okay, this is great. You know, and um, I really appreciate you guys coming out and putting the effort and the time in to put those Bibles together. And, you know, you say it, it does touch seven lives, and that's absolutely true. And I've had people tell me before... You know, my, my grandparents got saved, and then, and then the children got saved, and then the grandkids got saved, and it becomes generational. There's a change in the life of people, and then those generations after them are, are amazingly changed. And we're giving these scriptures to the Philippines in a Cebuano language and a people who, man, they don't enjoy a life like we do. We are amazingly blessed, and they are amazingly challenged, and so we're giving them an opportunity to hope to allow the Lord to work in their hearts and their lives in ways that we never could. And that's the best thing I can give them, not only for eternity, but for now as well. And so, as we're in chapter 5, I don't know how familiar you're all with, with the book of Esther, but um, as I was reading over this, if you don't know how familiar it is, just a real quick short cap of the story. Um, this is in the, in the time of the king, uh, of the, king of the, of the Medes and the Persians. And this king decides that he doesn't like his wife. She made him mad, and so he decides to put her away, and so he's going to get a new queen, which is, you know, great. I guess, I guess you're the king. You can do whatever you want. So he decides to go out and, and have this uh, time of picking different potential queens, and Esther comes into the, the fold, and um, she goes in this time of purification. Now, we then learn about Mordecai, who's in this story, and uh, Mordecai is her parent, but unfortunately, he is not her true parent, her not paternal parent. Her parents have died, and we find out later on in the story that Mordecai is actually related to her, but he, that she is his uncle's uh, uh, daughter. And so it's actually his cousin, and he takes this woman in, and he says, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that you're okay. I'll make sure that you're taken care of, and you're not left out there. And he takes care of her as his daughter. And so even in this time of purification, when she has to go, and it's for 12 months 
that she has to be in there every day Mordecai comes and checks on her every single day and asks about her how is she doing and checks on her so this guy has some character we find out some things and then we find out the the character of Haman comes along and this gentleman turns out to be kind of second only to the king we find out he's raised above the princes and the servants and Haman comes and and the king is um, decides to make a, a command that every time Haman passes by people are supposed to bow down and pay him reverence well Mordecai doesn't do this and we don't understand why, we just know that he doesn't do it. We're not really given a reason. And, uh, but this really bothers Haman. And it, it, just, it gets so much so that he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And then he finds out he decides he's going to go to the king and he's going to ask to pay to have these people removed. And he says, hey, you know, these people are not really of your people. They're not of your culture. They're not really don't follow your ways, king. And they're not really worth keeping. And you should just go ahead and allow them to be attacked. And so the king grants his request, and so much so that they can be attacked, they can be assaulted, they can be murdered, and there's no penalty for that to their women and their children, and all their stuff can be taken. I can't imagine what that's like. And so this order gets given out in all the languages throughout all the kingdom, and we find out when we read this story, there's 27 provinces, and it's a lot. And all the Jews then are very distraught, because here comes, in 12 months again, their time of destruction. And so it's very hard time for them. It's a very big pinnacle moment. And um, so we find out that uh, Mordecai during that time uh, comes to foil a king, uh, an assassination on the king. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, this goes before, this is another character of Mordecai. He overhears a couple chamberlains deciding they're going to try to kill the king. And so he tells Esther and the king is delivered. Again, we see the character of Mordecai. And so Haman decides that he's going to do this, and the law goes out. Well, Mordecai then finds out about it, and he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and there's an exchange between Esther. And we come to a very famous portion of Scripture that is quoted a lot of times, and Esther is asking Mordecai, you know, what should I do, or what would you have? And basically, Mordecai is saying, listen, you need to go in under the king and deliver us. You need to tell the king that this is wrong. You need to reveal that you're a Jew, because if you don't, the deliverance will still come for the Jews. But you and your father... You're in your household might be destroyed. And she says, but you don't understand there's a law. There's a law that says if I come to the king without being requested, I can be killed. As a matter of fact, it says I should be unless the king extends his golden scepter and grants me mercy. And Mordecai says, you've you got to do it anyway. And we hear this famous portion of scripture in chapter 4 and, first, and verse 14 that says, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such time as this? And I am sure we're very familiar with that as we've heard it many times. And so that's kind of where we're at, but there's a response that Esther has. And she says, okay, I'll risk my life. I'll go in under the king, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to fast for three days. Everyone in Shushan, all the Jews within the kingdom or within the, the um, capital, I want you to fast for three days. As a matter of fact, she says, me and my maids will do the same. And then I'm going to go in under the king. And that's where we're going to pick this up in chapter 5. That's where we are. And I want to read through chapter 5. And then I want to talk about some different things that God revealed to me that I want to share with you. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee unto the half of the kingdom. 
And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then Esther... And then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to a banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called his, for his friends and Zeresh his wife. Verse 11. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things whereon to, or wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. And Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did, not, uh, did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I am I invited unto her also with the king." Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in marrying with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, we come before thee this day. Lord, gathered in your house if you've asked us to, as you've called us to, to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me and allow your word to be given. Allow us to understand and have our hearts open and our minds open, Lord, to what you would have us to get out of this message. Help me to be the servant, Lord, that you asked me to be. And help us to be receptive to the servants that you asked us to be. I thank you for it all. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. So as I was reading this, if you're reading this story, right, there's, there's a giant culmination of things that are going on, right? The, the Jews are going to be persecuted. They're looking at 12 months of utter destruction and Haman is, is ready, you know, and he's, he's done his plot and his plan. And these Jews are really, they're, they're so much so that they're fasting. And there's this moment in time and you're leading up to, if you were watching a movie, you would think here it is that, that Esther is ready to risk her life to go into the, the king and ask, you know, hey, deliver the Jews and what's going on? And everybody is fasting for three days and she's fasting. And the moment comes and we read down through there and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, great. And he extends the golden scepter to her and I'm like, yes, you're delivered. And what does she do? Great. Can you come to a banquet? And I'm thinking, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, what are, what's going on? Like, this is the moment. This is your time. You passed the test. You should be asking for this to happen. Why are you not doing this? And I think, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's a cultural thing, right? Maybe, maybe you're supposed to do that. Okay, fair enough. Okay, maybe that's what's supposed to happen. If you remember, I preached about the message of Nehemiah, the same thing. There's a certain way to talk to a king. Okay, okay, fair enough. But then what happens? They come to the banquet and you think, okay, Haman's there this time. Now we're, now we're going to get into it. Now it's coming. Now's the time for deliverance. Okay. Okay, Esther, now's the time. Now come, ask the king, what does she do? Can you come back tomorrow? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, I'm thinking of like the friends who are standing on the side through clenched teeth. They'd be going, stop doing that. That's the question. Why are you waiting? This is pinnacle of a time. They're waiting on deliverance. You've been praying about this. What are you doing? So if you've heard me preach before, they're suddenly becoming a theme. 
I had some questions. Why are you doing this? So I began to study this out and I realized there's two banquets. Okay, Lord, why two banquets? Why is there two banquets and what's going on here? Now, as we read over this portion of scripture, I understand that she's been fasting for three days. I also understand that the Jews have been fasting. And when you fast, it's not a time where you decide that I have a problem, Lord, and I have a solution. So if you could just approve my solution, that'd be great. That's not what fasting is about. We're spending time in prayer. We're denying ourselves of food or some other thing that we've been willing to give up to ask the Lord for an answer. And so as I'm reading this, I notice there's no negative indication given to her choices. Because clearly she chose to do it this way. There's nothing in indication that this is wrong. God's wrath isn't kindled. There's no indication in Scripture. There's no error. There's no judgment that comes. There's no correction given in Scripture. So clearly God's okay with her doing this. As I began to think about this, I began to realize... You know what? She's been praying about what to do. In fasting, when we come before God, we don't ask for approval for what we think the solution is. We ask God, here's the problem, Lord. What would you have me to do? So I have to trust that that God has said, okay, Esther, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to handle this situation. Now, we don't know. Maybe Haman wasn't in a good mood that day when she first came in, but he likes Esther. Maybe he had a bad day at court and found out about his bad news, and he didn't want to hear more bad news. God knows. We don't know. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe he wouldn't have made the right choice then at that time. Maybe it was a bad time to ask. God knew. God gave a reason. And that's my first point tonight, is God's direction leads to handling things the right way. So you begin to understand Okay, Lord, you're directing things in a certain way. You're asking for the best outcome. You're telling me the best outcome when I'm asking for what the problem is and how do I figure this out, Lord? Because I need to know. And there's a big problem, and a lot of people's lives are at stake. And Esther was willing to give uh, the risk her own life. It's okay, Lord, your your direction leads to the handling of right thing, or handling of things the right way. And then as I read on, as we read on, we notice that there's some interesting things that happen, and I got to a point where I started listening or looking at Haman's life, or Haman's response. So I look at these two different banquets, and I ask myself, there's two different banquets, there's two different things that happen here. Why do you do this? I don't know the answer, so I'm going to look at what happens in between. What happens? Haman decides that he comes from this banquet and he's happy. If you looked in verse 9, right? It says, Then Haman went forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But, or there's a colon there and that but, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation. Haman was having a great time until he saw Mordecai. He had a problem. And then there's some interesting things that happen. What does Haman do? He, does, he refrains himself. That's fine. He goes home and he calls all his friends and his wife. And then what does it tell me in verse 11? And Haman told me of the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, all the things wherein the king had promoted him, how he'd advance him above the princes and the servants. This tells me when you say the princes, I'm guessing that Haman, or I'm understanding, Haman's probably not related. And it says, moreover, verse 12, yes, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. I'm watching a man counting his blessings. 
And I'm thinking, wow, you're listed off a lot of things. Told them the glory of his riches. This is a man who clearly has wealth. And it probably wasn't something he came into the day before. It's been a while. He's been working at it. He's been blessed. He has a glory, uh, the multitude of his children. If you read the story later on, you find out Haman has 10 kids. That's an 18-year dedication times 10. And that's if he had one every single year. That's a long time. And he's been amazingly blessed to have 10 kids to have the wealth to take care of them, to be able to do that. We get to the third point, and what happens? And he says, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him. This isn't a riches thing. This isn't a family thing. This is a political thing. He has status in the kingdom. He is promoted above the princes and the servants of the king. He's second to the king, basically. He has been amazingly blessed. And he's counting all these things. Even he's honored when the queen lets nobody else come in to the, with the king but him. And this sounds great. You know, and a lot of times, Christian, I think we ought to review those different blessings that we have. And that would be a great thing to do. But the problem exists in verse 13. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Here's a man who's counting his blessings. And the interesting thing is these are long-term things. It takes a while. And it's like scales, and he's just weighing them down, right? I've got this, I've got riches, I've got children, i got all this. It just should be sitting on the table, and the scale should be. But he goes, well, there's Mordecai. Now, Mordecai isn't a financial rival. He's not trying to take his business away. Mordecai isn't persecuting his family. Mordecai's not some political rival. Mordecai's not promoted, and he's not getting asked, by the way, to that banquet. Yet... He just doesn't stand up. I know it's a command. And he doesn't bow down to me. That should have no weight. It's so circumstantial. Yet, Morta, or yet Haman puts his finger on that scale and says, matters too much. That's a mistake. And I realized in this moment, there's two banquets. And here's a man who's reviewing all his blessings and he makes a choice. He won't let it go. And I realized Haman's destruction was imminent. He didn't know it. God did. Esther could have went in maybe and said, Hey, king, uh, this is a problem. Here's why I'm a Jew. And I'm just guessing that Haman versus queen. Haman, you lose. You know, he probably loves her more than he likes you. Sorry. His destruction is coming. He doesn't know it. Now remember, God's the one who said, Esther, I want you to do it this way. God gives this man a chance. He delays his judgment. I'm going to give you one more chance to make a choice. And that's my second point. God's character is equally applied to everyone. We learn later in the story, Haman is an evil man. Yet, amazingly enough, God still gives him a chance. And i got to think of my own life when I start reviewing the blessings in my life. And honestly, personally, this was very convicting to me. I got to look at those little inconsequential things and ask myself, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it make a difference? Can I, am I putting my finger on that scale? Mm, I mean, I live in the best country in the world, honestly. I'm blessed. I can come here. We can worship. No one's persecuted. No one's coming in the doors. Stop what you're doing. You're not allowed to do this. I can openly go out and knock on doors. Can I tell you about Jesus Christ? No one's saying, hey, 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 
You can't do that. Some of these missionaries that we send stuff to, they can't do that. If you've been here before, you know I've prayed. Pray that they get in the country. Pray that they'll let it get in the country. A, pray that they'll have a chance and an opportunity to give it out because sometimes they'll say, you can pick it up and pay for it. You just have to keep it at your house. You're not allowed to give it to anybody. And the third thing I always ask about is pray that souls will be saved. And we know the power of God's word. But we don't live in that country. We don't live in that culture. And sometimes when we think about foreign cultures, we think, well, they're very different. You know, if you go to a foreign place, they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't have the same culture as us. They don't dress the same way. You know, you're like, why are you wearing that thing? That looks really weird. To us, to them, it's normal. They don't value the same things we do. And their culture isn't the same. Sometimes you touch people on the top of the head, they're offended, you sit down, you point your toe if you cross your leg, and suddenly you're a horrible, offensive person. And we think, that's crazy, like that doesn't matter, but they're very offended. They're different than us. And so i got to go back and weigh that sometimes and ask myself, hmm, my blessings, you know what, that, that doesn't really matter. I still got to be willing to talk to them. I still have to be willing to give them scripture. I still have to be willing to give them the gospel. That's what the Lord asked me to do. Now, if their problems or their culture isn't anti-biblical, they're just different. That's how that works. And it's okay. Because you could have an Eastern view where everything is about shame and honor. Or you could have a Western view where everything is about guilt and innocence. But as long as it's not against the Bible, it's just different. And that might be all right. And so they're not going to wear a tie. And, the, you know, <laughs> I know I'm getting a little dangerous there. <laughs> and they're not. It's okay. And so as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that, honestly, you say to me, well, Ryan, that's great, but how does this, how does this really apply to missions? I'll tell you how. When I think about this, I pray a lot of times about our country and I see the direction we're going in. And I'm worried. I'm concerned. I don't know that I've ever spent three days fasting, but maybe I should. Maybe I should ask the Lord, how do we handle this? As I'm looking at this, I realize our country is going in a certain direction. Now, there's always a chance for a revival, and I pray that we'll have the greatest revival we've ever seen. But then I ask myself, you know what? There's a different culture now that exists in this country. And they don't like me, and their ideas are different, and their values are different, and they're going to dress different, and they're going to talk different. And I'm going to ask myself again, I'm going to go back to that scale. My blessings outweigh their differences? Because it's easy to say, hey, in a foreign country, yeah, sure, but it's a little different when it hits home. And I got to go out there, and I'm knocking on the door, and they're screaming in my face. I don't know that I've had that happen, praise the Lord. <laughs> but it might. And someday, if we really truly have revival in this country, what we're going to find out is they're going to come through those doors. And their hair color is probably not going to be a natural color, maybe. And they might have some nose rings and some lip rings in some different places. And I go, they don't belong there. And the big holes in their ear might be gauges. And I'm thinking that's not supposed to be that big. And they're going to dress different. And they're going to talk different. And they're going to have different ideas. But they're still walking in that door. And somewhere along the line, they might have told me, what you say is hate speech. And they might tell me, I've, I've been at a protest and holding a sign, or maybe I've met them and they've been somewhere and they're wearing some shirt that says Christians are terrible and they use a different language. And they might have spit at me and they might have cursed at me. 
Is my finger on that scale? I mean, it can't be. It can't be. Because if they're walking in that door, what's going to happen if we have revival in this country is they're going to realize somewhere along the line that they got waylaid, that they got robbed, and that they were beat up, and they were left in a ditch. And you know what? I want to be the good Samaritan. Because I don't want to be the Levite and I don't want to be the priest. And if they're coming in the door, i got to be, yes, how are you doing? I'm glad to see you. Might have been the same people who were a week earlier telling me I'm a horrible person. How could you risk things? How could you do those things? We've seen in the past couple years what happens in this country. And they're afraid and they have anxiety and they don't have this. They don't have hope. And God's telling me, listen, you're the one. So there's got to be a choice. And that's my third point. Revival starts with a personal choice. I've always heard people preach, revival starts with us. And I think, that's great. I need to get my life and go back and, you know, re-up with the Lord and get right of everything and ask the Lord and question whether or not I'm doing things wrong. And, but where am I at that I'm, I'm willing to make that choice where I'm weighing that scale, where I'm willing to let little things go and offenses that really seem small because all of the things that Haman were thinking about were really pretty much long-term. And I got a really long-term thing for them to think about if they come in that door. Or if I get a chance to preach to them. Or if I get a chance to witness to them. And I want that opportunity. Because everything I have, that blessing is eternal. And honestly, it never ought to come off that table. It ought to weigh everything. I die tomorrow, I get everything. I still win. No matter how long I'm here, if I'm here a hundred and some odd years, if I die tomorrow, I still get it. They don't. And so I'm praying that there'll be revival. And I'm hoping and praying that we'll have an opportunity. But it's got to start with our choice of whether I'm willing to ignore those little slights, whether I'm willing to ignore those little things. Because I wish I would have had time. I could have shown you a picture of a 19-year-old Brian who had hair down to here. And the guy wasn't a bad guy, but he didn't know God. And he didn't talk to Christians too much. If you'd have looked at him, you'd have thought, okay, I don't know. <laughs> and they tried to talk to me, and I just didn't listen. And sometimes some of those people won't either. But if we get the chance, we've got to ignore all the things that are different. The culture's different. There's still a chance for a revival. God, God delayed destruction for Haman, even as evil he's, as he was, to give him an opportunity. Because we know that God tells us the right way to handle things. We know that God's, equal, that character, uh, God's character equally applies to everyone. And the revival starts with a personal choice. So I hope that that's your prayer tonight. I hope you'll be praying about that, that these will be the same way. We'll see revival in foreign countries. I don't want to see just revival in the United States. I want to see it worldwide, Lord. I want to have the greatest revival we've ever seen. Because I do, because the world needs it. It's not just our problem. It's a worldwide problem. And so tonight... Maybe we just need to have an invitation here in a moment. If you guys would like to go ahead and stand uh, and bow your heads and close your eyes, the piano player would come. Maybe we just have a moment where you want to ask the Lord and come forward and ask the Lord, maybe, how would you use me, Lord? How would you have me to do it? What would be the way that you would direct me? Or maybe you're a lost person and you're thinking maybe now is the time. Maybe the Lord's been working on your heart and you have never accepted Christ to be your personal Savior. You can have it today. You're going to have to believe with your heart. You're going to have to realize your condition. You're going to realize that you need a Savior. Or maybe you're a lost person you don't know Christ at all. I just don't understand, Lord. Well, it's worth coming down. It's maybe worth praying and asking the Lord to help you to understand.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.